I'll tell you what I've seen. It's kind of an overview, just looking at, at the things that we've covered. Um, there's a lot of stuff that sticks out, like in James uh, 1 and like verse 2, he kicks off and he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That just sounds completely backwards. Why in the world would we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds? You know, it didn't make any sense at all. But we, we talked about that, and we had a really good discussion on that. Um, James 1, verse 12, we talked, and we, we were talking about uh, this passage of scriptures. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. How many of y'all remember us talking about that? Some good stuff. How many of y'all remember, we talked about this, or pastor did last week, when tempted... No one should say that God's tempted me, for God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Y'all remember that study last week? Good stuff, huh? And, and, you, and you look at this stuff, there's this, this powerful theme that flows through the first chapter in the book of James, and it's all about trials, and it's all about overcoming, and it's all about the reward that's waiting for us if we persevere and if we stick with the process and if we trust God through, through what we're working through. And then we land on what we're going to talk about tonight. And James the blunt, James the straight shooter, James who's just slinging truth and making perfect sense, just straight talking James, gets a little poetic. Maybe he got home and he was sipping on some tea and the birds were singing and he thought, you know what, I've been kind of rough up to this point let me see if i can whip out a nice little soliloquy here and just he gets so look at what he what he writes here in james 16 through 1 16 through 18 is what we're going to be looking at this evening unbelievable unbelievable tony we'll put up on the screen look don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like sifting shadows Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What? How does that even fit in the flow of what he's talking about up until that point? Everything has been about trials. Everything's been about overcoming. Everything's been about dealing with temptation and how temptation doesn't come from God, but it comes from us and the struggle within ourselves and our own evil desires. He goes through all of this powerful stuff, and then he, he starts talking. Uh, put that back up on the screen. Put, put verse 6. Look, look. Birth through the word of truth? Kind of first fruits of all he created? Go back to verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now he's throwing down presents. He's talking about grinding it out in our faith, and now he's talking about Santa Claus Jesus who's throwing out presents and gifts. You know, what in the world is this guy? It's like James started writing this, and then he decided to hang out with Paul for an afternoon. And then James came back and was like, man, Paul can just throw some junk together and somehow make sense out of it. Maybe I'll try that. It's like James is trying to be Paul here. He was making really, really good sense, and then pfft, he just throws this cloud of, what? How does this even flow 
with what you're talking about here. So I started studying and digging into this, and I want to share with you guys this evening what God showed to me and what James is really getting at here when he says what he says in these few verses. Are you ready for this? I don't believe you. Are you ready for this? Look at the person next to you and ask them, are you ready for this? Did they look like they were ready for it? All right, we're going to get into this. I was looking at this, and I was like, it just doesn't make sense with the flow. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Then you're blessed if you persevere. And then when you're tempted, God's not the one tempting you. It's coming from yourself because God can't be tempted. God doesn't hit you with evil things. I was looking at verse 16. It says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. This really isn't like James, because James is being sweet. Gunslinger James is saying, dear brothers and sisters? Oh, my dear brothers and sisters. He goes from hardcore James to just big teddy bear James. You know those people that are real, like, tough-looking, but deep inside it's nothing but just soft, squishy, ooey-gooey niceness, you know? They've got that hard persona, but they're just a big teddy bear. Yeah, that's what James is doing here. And, and that phrase, we're going to do a, bit of, a little bit of word studying tonight. Is that okay? We're going to work our brains just a little bit. So I hope you brought something to write on, and I hope you brought your Bible or at least something to type some notes in on your phone because uh, there's going to be some good stuff for us to look at this evening. Dear brothers and sisters, man, that's, that's an endearing kind of term. And then it was like, it was like he was, when he was writing to these guys, he was saying that he loved them in a close family kind of love. That's what the wording means there. When he wrote, dear brothers and sisters, he was like, guys, I love you. I love you. This big pastor's heart starts to pour out of James, who's got this reputation of being just Mr. True Slinger. Maybe James figured out that sometimes you can tell the truth and season it with love, too, which isn't a bad thing to master. You know, if you go around slinging truth all the time, you know what you begin to look like? Yep. And you don't want to look like yep, do you? You don't want to look like that person. Nobody wants to hang out with that person. Season the truth with love. And that's what James starts to do here. But it threw me off a little bit because he throws out this big phrase like, guys, I love you like your family. I love you like your family. But he did it after he said, don't be deceived. And it kind of threw me off there because like the patterning of the sentence doesn't make sense. Like if I wanted to get your attention, I would say, guys, I love you so much. Listen, I don't want you to be deceived. But he didn't say it like that. He said, don't be deceived. Guys, listen to me. I love you. It's like he said what he was saying, and then he dropped the motivation afterwards. It's like he's trying to put an emphasis on what he said before and not what was going to be coming after. It's like completely backwards. Are y'all following me on this? It's just weird. Like what in the world was James drinking this afternoon when he wrote this? I told pastor, I was like, man, I really appreciate you going out of town and leaving me these scriptures to teach on. You know, good gravy, man. I just, 
I want to talk about temptation or something like that. Not not this crazy stuff that the James. This is this is crazy stuff to navigate because at a glance you'll just shoot right through this and miss completely what James is trying to say and the heart of what he's trying to communicate. I did some studying and and that that phrase right there don't be deceived or do not be deceived. Um it acts as a bridge here in this passage of Scripture. It's, it's a bridge word. It's a bridge phrase. Deceived is a, is a bridge phrase, the way the verbiage is used in the Greek. What that means is that just like a bridge on a highway, it connects two directions, okay? And you can't really say, does that bridge connect north, northbound traffic to southbound traffic? It kind of does, but at the same time, it's connecting southbound traffic to northbound traffic. It's working both ways, okay? It's going both ways. It's not bisexual. It's just a bidirectional connection, okay, in the direction of what's happening here in Scripture. It's a bridge word. What in the world does that mean, Pastor Josh? That means that what James is doing is he's connecting what he's about to say directly with what he just said in the group of Scripture before it. So what he's saying is, I don't want you to be, be deceived in the process of all the trials and the temptations that you're going to be facing. I don't want you to be deceived in, in, how you, in, in the way that you are fighting to persevere through the hardships that you're going through. I don't want you to be deceived going backwards in the fact that, that you might think that God is tempting you. God's not tempting you. Don't be deceived in that. It goes backwards all the way through what he just said. And it goes forward into what he's fixing to say at the same time. It's crazy. It's just one of these bridge words. And the verbiage and how this works in the Greek is amazing. That's why you never just want to read the Bible and read it at face value. Because there is a lot of stuff in the Word of God. You can go about as deep into this as you want to go. And you better ditch the the snorkel and put on some good deep sea gear and just get ready to dive deep. Because there's a lot of stuff in the Word of God. And it's all good. So he's connecting these things together. So he's connecting, consider it pure joy. Blessed is the man who perseveres. And when tempted, no one should say God's tempting. He's connecting all of that to, I love you guys. I don't want you to be deceived in this. I love you guys. Listen to me. And he begins to break down this crazy phrase. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. who doesn't change like uh, shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. You would think if he was trying to grab their attention by saying, I love you, what he would say next would make so much perfect sense. To us reading this in the translations that we have, it kind of doesn't. But in his original letter to the original readers... See, the flow of the Greek and the verbiage and what things really mean and the multiple meanings of words wasn't filtered out. We get a version of the Bible that's easy for us to read and decipher and make sense, but what we don't have is what the original Greek is and how it flows. We have what are called dynamic translations of the Word of God. Make sense? All right. Um, And so when you start to dig into this and do words, do some studies on the words and the verbiage here, James is actually saying some pretty powerful stuff. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. 
every good and perfect gift is from above. Now, that kind of threw me off when I read that. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and he talks about how it comes from the Father in heaven. And I was thinking, yeah, but when God gives you a gift, I mean, is there really like a kind of difference in the way that he, in the level of gifts that he gives you? Like if God's going to gift you with something, isn't it going to be perfect? Or if, like, if you were just having a bad week and maybe you cussed at work, instead of giving you a perfect gift, he was just going to throw you a good gift that week because you just weren't quite there. You know, and that threw me off. I was like, well, if God's perfect, then God's going to give perfect gifts to people. Why is there a difference there? That doesn't make sense. Like when God, when God gifted me with my wife, Kelly, he didn't give me a good gift. He gave me a perfect gift. He didn't give me a, yeah, okay, good kind of wife. He gave me the perfect wife for me. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, God's got to be a giver of perfect gifts. So why is there a delineation here between a good and a perfect gift? There's got to be something here, don't you think? James has got to be up to something. He's been hanging out with Paul, apparently. He's got to be doing some wordplay here. Poetic license. He's got to be doing some wordplay here, as I'm thinking. So I began to look and dig, and I looked at that word, good. And you know what? Guys, we were right. He was up to something. That word good there in the Greek doesn't just mean good. It's got a phrase that goes with a definition because some words can have multiple words that define it. You know, So the word good there means to give in a good way. So it's not that every good gift can come from the Father. It's that when you flip the verbiage and put it in the correct way, it's that the Father gives in a good way. And the correct phrasing in the Greek. Making a little more sense now, huh? So, 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 so James is pulling a Paul here, and he says, guys, listen to me. I don't want you to be deceived in the process of all this stuff that we've talked about before. I want you to not be deceived in this process that I'm fixing to explain to you. Listen to me. God, when he gives, he only gives in a good way. Well, that kind of made sense to me. I thought, you know what? Okay, I, I can roll with that. God only gives in a good way. And I begin looking at the rest of, of this passage of Scripture. He gives in a good way, perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father in heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, like shadows that will fall through the day as the sun moves across the sky. He says, no, God's not like that. God's constantly the same. He is still I am that I am. He stands outside of time. He always was. He always will be. And he always will be in the future. He, he just is who he is. He says, I am the Lord thy God. He says, I don't change. I'm constant. So he said, listen, guys, I want you to understand this. He says it's just after he talked about how temptation does not come from God and how it comes from us and from outside sources. God doesn't tempt you. God, God's not a God who's here to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That comes from somewhere else. He says, God, I don't want you to be deceived in this process. I want you to understand 
that God is only a God that gives in a good way, and he never changes in that. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And then he drops down and he says, he talks about how he chose us to give birth. He chose us to give birth through the the word of truth, or chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Well, that makes perfect sense to me because who who here understands what a first fruit is? Man, that's a old that's that's kind of an old testament concept. What they would do is when they would give at the temple, or they would give to God, they would give out of the first fruit of what they had in the harvest, which means that they would give what they considered to be the best of what they had, and they would give that first to God. So the best of the sheep, the best of the cattle, the best of the crops, the the best of all that they had, when they would give that as an offering to God, they gave that as a first fruit, it was the best thing that they had. So when he says, when, when James is comparing us to the first fruit here, he's, he's reminding us that we're prized to him. We're prized by God, just like a first fruit would be prized by the people that possess it. We're prized by God, and we have great value. He's communicating how much value we have to God. Are you guys just as confused as I am right now? It's like a cloud that's starting to clear a little bit. And what James is writing here is starting to make a little bit of sense to me. So, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know your testing of your faith is going to produce perseverance, and it's going to make you, if you stick with it, you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, because when he stood the test, he'll receive a crown of life that God's promised to those who love him, then he says, in the context of trials and, te- and, and tribulations, when you're tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me because God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't do any of that. So don't be deceived in the process of all of this happening because God is only going to give you things in a good way Because he never changes, because he values you in a prized possession kind of way. He loves you as the best of the best that he has to himself. That's what James is saying here. This is getting kind of cool, isn't it? This is getting kind of cool, isn't it? Word studies are kind of fun. Oh, wait a minute. That... Did I, I think it's, Tony, did I skip something? I think I did. I skipped it. Adam, you remember? I skipped it. I skipped, I skipped what came right after good. Huh. God doesn't change. So God doesn't change. Yeah, he doesn't change. But then I was talking about, yeah, everything good. Oh, everything good and perfect. So every good and perfect gift 
is from above. So I'm wondering if the word good means more than good, because that means to give in a good way. I'm wondering if something's up with the word perfect there. What do you guys think? There might be something up with the word perfect there. What James is talking about here is getting really interesting to me. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father. Okay, so that word perfect, when I looked it up, you guys aren't going to believe what it means. It doesn't just mean perfect. It means ending with a perfect result. Ending with a perfect result. In other words, everything that's coming from God is given in a good way, and everything that comes from God, two separate thoughts here because of the verbiage. Okay, these don't flow together. Two separate thoughts here. And everything that comes down from the Father above ends with a perfect result. Now this is making a little more sense to me. Now I understand why James just went all poetic here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith is going to develop perseverance so that you will end up being, I'm paraphrasing here, but it'll say you'll be what? Mature, complete, and not lacking what? Not lacking anything. Not lacking anything is kind of what? It's kind of perfect, isn't it? Kind of perfect, isn't it? And I'm thinking, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Then in verse 13, he says, Listen, in, in all of that, in the process of what you're going through, why are you being going through these trials? Stop and think for a second because when you're tempted in that process, nobody should say that God is tempting me. See, James isn't schizophrenic jumping around from subject to subject, just following a line of thought here. So in the process of your trials and the temptations and the stuff that you're going through while you're persevering, don't be tempted to think that God is tempting you because God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. In other words, the evil stuff that you're facing isn't coming from God. Then he stops and he says, guys, look, don't be deceived in the process of all of this. I want you to understand how God operates because God only gives things out of a good motive, only the good things are going to come from God and when God gives God works out the situation so that it ends up with a perfect result oh my gosh James is getting kind of fancy here this is something else he's saying guys I don't want you to get frustrated or to be deceived in the process and misunderstand what's happening or where all of the stuff is coming from because you are going to go through trials and temptations and all of that stuff and life is going to happen to you and you are going to get hit by things and you are going to have to deal with the evil that's in the world. But I want you to understand that that stuff is not coming from God because when we walk through a hard time in our life, what's the first thing that we say? Why? And usually some point in the process we say, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Have you ever said that before? And what James is writing here and what he's trying to get across is this, that through the process of going through this, I don't 
want you to think that God is dumping a truckload of bad luck on you. God doesn't operate that way. He only gives in a good way. And in the process of what you're going through, listen, listen now, God is going to be able to take it and make the end result perfect. Wow. 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 Why? Because God doesn't change. And because he loves you and values you like his most prized possession. That's why. He's going to be looking out for you. James's this last plea at this block of scripture here is for his people, the church that he's writing to, to not be deceived by what's going on, to understand the proper flow of what's happening, to understand God's process of dealing with us, and to understand the fact that when God does stuff, he makes sure that it ends with a perfect result. Even if it's something that he didn't necessarily cause to happen in your life, he can take it and make it end in a perfect result. Holy cow, if I had a hanky, I'd start shaking it right now. That's just amazing. That's just amazing. That means that it, he's not responsible for the lady at work that gossips about you. And he's not responsible for what she says. But before it's all said and over, if you don't get caught up in what's happening on a fleshly level and you don't get deceived by what's happening in this process, and if you stay with it and you persevere under that trial, he will make what this is, what's a bad situation right now end up with a perfect ending. That's what he's saying. Wow. So what with the enemy and what the what people around you might be might, might intend to, to do to harm you, he says, I'll take that and I'll create a different ending if you don't get deceived in the process of what's happening. That makes sense? Man, Paul, Paul, he, he said it a little more straightforward than James was getting. It's like they switched roles right here. In, in Romans 8, 28, Paul said it like this. He said, And we know that in all things God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working. He works for the good. The good. He's working behind the scenes. Not in what you see. Not Maybe not what's happening around you. But God is working through the process to produce a perfect ending to the, to, to the process. That makes sense? Oh, my gosh. I was thinking, you know, it, it was kind of like what Joseph said. Remember, Joseph went through all that stuff in his life, got to the end. He was the second most powerful man in the world. And he looked at his brothers who had done all this bad to him, and he said, you know what? You meant what you did for evil. But God was able to take it and make it good. My paraphrase. My paraphrase. Think about Joseph's life. I can prove this to you through Scripture. This is how God works. Think about Joseph's life. He, um, he, he was this, this braggy kind of teenager who had this, he, was, he got a little bit of favoritism from his dad. He saw this vision in a dream. He had his dream, saw this vision of all of his brothers bowing down to him, and he was in this exalted position of authority, and that's all he would talk about. God had given him this dream, and his brothers hated him for it. And you don't expect people to get excited all the time about the dream that God's put in your heart. There's going to be some opposition to it every time, I guarantee it. So what they did was they threw Joseph 
into this little cistern. They were going to kill him, but they thought, no, nah, that's not kill him. Let's throw him down in this hole. Let's trick our dad and tell him that he was killed. And here comes a caravan of people who were going where? To Egypt. And so they sold Joseph to this caravan as a slave, and they took him straight to Egypt. Well, Joseph would never get to Egypt if he hadn't been sold in that, to, as a slave in that caravan, would he? So what people intended as evil was actually a thing that God was able to use to get the perfect result that he wanted in Joseph's life. Joseph was bought by a guy named who? Potiphar. What did Potiphar do for a living? Do you remember what Potiphar was? Not a lot of people can, can, can remember this. Potiphar in Egypt, all right, he was right there. He was right there in a high position in the government. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. The captain of the king's guard. And nobody knows exactly what that means, but what they figure is this, that <clears throat> obviously he was, in, he was like the captain of the military. And a lot of people think that he was actually over the prison system also in the kingdom and uh, the peacekeeping force. Like all of it sat under the captain of the guard the way that it worked in, in Egypt. So Joseph was sold to Potiphar, a slave in his house, the captain of the guard, the guy overseeing all the military functions and security functions and inner workings and all that stuff of Egypt. If down the road you were going to be the second most powerful man in the world and you were going to run all the territories that were purchased by Egypt or owned by Egypt just under Pharaoh, don't you think you would have to have some kind of knowledge of the workings of military tactics, understandings of the functions and flows and ranks and chains of command and hierarchy of the military operations of the country. As a slave, God put Joseph in a place where he could get invaluable teaching probably, an invaluable training to prepare him for the role that God had for him later on in life. But he was still a slave in bondage while God was still working out the situation to have a perfect ending. See how that works? And you take Joseph was working at Potiphar's house, and the Bible says when you read through the story that... Um, Joseph kept getting promoted again and again and again in Potiphar's house until he sat right there under Potiphar in charge of everything that happened in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's command. That means that Joseph was literally overseeing military operations as a slave under the oversight of Potiphar. That's nuts. Then comes Potiphar's wife. Mm-mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. You know what Potiphar's wife's name is in the Greek? Are you ready for this? Slut. She was a slut. I'm not really. I'm making that up. But you can read in Scripture like she, she, she saw Joseph and he was good looking, and she was like, "I gotta have some of that." And Joseph was like, "No, you can't get down with this because I, I'm not gonna do that." And so she chased him on multiple occasions, and he was, she was like, baby, come over here and get some of this. And he's like, no, I don't want it. And she's like, come get it. And he's like, no, I can't. I don't want it. And she's like, come on, I'm ready for you, baby. No, I don't. I can't. And so he would just 
run away, and it got to the point where he would avoid her. He would avoid her, the Bible says. Like he would go into places where he knew that she wasn't. Like he would avoid her. He would, you ever had that person that you just tried to avoid all the time because they're just awkward? Like when you see them come through the door, you're just like, yeah, you started fake doing stuff. Like you just come up with something because you don't get trapped in the conversation or that person that really, really likes you and you know there ain't no way on planet Earth you're ever going to date them, but they haven't figured that out yet. They're just chasing you around. You know, we probably all had that person, you know, but she was after him in no way. And then she pulled his little trick. Mm-mm-mm. She grabbed him. Joseph, I must have you now. He's like, no, it can't happen. And she grabbed his robe, and he took off running. First streaker that we know of in Scripture, besides Adam probably. Like, he just took off running naked through the court. That had to be something that was going on. She makes up the story. You guys know what happens here. She lies, and she says, she tells everybody, that dude Joseph tried to get me to do the wild thing with him, and I wasn't having none of it. And then he tried to force me, and I screamed, and then he ran off. Total lie. So now a lie's happening. Potiphar finds out about it. What does he do to Joseph? Throws him into prison. Throws him into prison. Not just any prison, though. Not just any prison. If you read the story, Potiphar threw Joseph into the prison where the king's prisoners were kept. You know what that means? Joseph went to the place where the politicians went. The political prisoners, the political people that got busted and had to go to jail, that's where he went. So <laughs> it probably goes both ways, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's not many straight there's not many straight arrows up there but uh, anyway puts him in there where the king's prisoners are did you know a lot of people believe that that was it's not like a real strict heavy kind of prison sentence it was more like kind of like a, a house arrest where you just got to stay in this certain area and you, you're confined and you got to serve out your term and do little tasks or whatever, but you can't leave this certain area. Well, like prison prison where you're doing hard labor like building pyramids or busting rocks or any other stuff that the other prisoners had to do in, in, in Egypt. He was kind of in, in prissy pampered kind of prison with the political prisoners, which makes me wonder a little bit, okay? Now, if I'm like, dudes, if you're a guy, raise your hand. All right, think about this. You're married, and you love your wife, and then your wife accuses some dude of trying to rape her. Are you going to send him to a political prison and give him a little slap on the wrist? I can't prove this, but I kind of think that Potiphar knew his wife was a hussy. <laughs> and I think, I think he kind of knew probably that Joseph didn't do what she was saying that he did, so he sent him to prison light instead of prison hardcore over here. If somebody tries to mess with my wife and I got the authority, dude, they're going to be busting bricks. They're going to be carrying rocks. They're going to be building the pyramid. And I want, you know, if I've got the authority to kill somebody or send them to hardcore prison, it's going to be one of those two options if I'm Potiphar. So I'm thinking maybe 
maybe his wife kind of, maybe that Greek translation was probably a little accurate. He's like, you know what, my wife is kind of like that. I don't know. So Joseph's there with these political prisoners. What do you think they talk about through the day? Politics. Have you ever known a politician not to talk about politics somewhere? Have you ever known a politician not to have some kind of opinion on something? Just anybody politically minded. I mean, if you stand still for two seconds, well, what do you think about blah, 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 and this, that? I'm telling you what, they're going to blow up the whole world for it's over with you. They're going to talk about this stuff. Well, Joseph's in a place now where he can begin to understand the political system. Now, he's moved from the military to the political inner workings of Egypt. And probably he's getting great insight into how things work and how things flow. And since he's with the corrupt branch of the political group, <coughs> he's probably figuring out who he needs to talk to and who he needs to avoid. And if something needs to happen, who he really needs to talk to to influence this group of hundreds and thousands over here and who the players are. Joseph is in these conversations probably where he's learning this stuff even after somebody lied and falsely accused him and he was thrown into prison, God was still working the situation so that it had a perfect ending. Did you know you can't find one point in this entire story in Genesis where Joseph got upset with God? In fact, somewhere in there it says, even through all of this, Joseph never turned his back on the Lord his God. He stuck with the process. He wasn't deceived with what was happening. You know what? He, he sat in that prison for how long? A long time. He met these two people. One of them was a baker, and one of them was a cupbearer. It kind of sounds like a nursery rhyme now. <laughs> Got a baker and a cupbearer. And they had these dreams. Cupbearer has one. The baker has one. Joseph interprets the dreams for him. And if you kind of paraphrase it, he says to the cupbearer, you're okay. Things are going to work out good for you. Baker, eh, it's not going to work out so good for you. You're about to die in a few days, so nice knowing you. <laughs> Get your affairs in order. And it happened just like Joseph said it would happen. The cupbearer was put back into Pharaoh's court. The baker was killed. And the cupbearer made a promise to Joseph and said that he would remember him and he would tell Pharaoh about him. And Joseph was like, get me out of here. You know, Cupbearer's like, I got you back, bro. Two more years. Joseph had to stay in this place. And Pharaoh has his dream. Keeps him up, bugs him, bothering him. A lot of things that bother a Pharaoh. He had a dream. That bothered him. I need somebody to interpret this dream. And the cupbearer says, oh, snap. Um, yeah, uh, there's this guy. Um, I was supposed to tell you a couple years ago about this. But there's this guy who's in your prison where your political prisoners are. Um, yeah, he, he, can, he, can, he can do the dream thing. He can interpret this stuff. He can tell you what's going on. Pharaoh says, I got to meet this guy. And one day, Joseph goes from a prisoner to the atten having the attention 
of Pharaoh, who at the time was the leader of the world, basically. Interpreted the dream. And he drops this phrase. It kind of cracks me up. He drops this phrase on Pharaoh. He, he gives the interpretation of the dream and talks about the, the famine that's coming and what's going to have to happen. And he goes, now, Pharaoh, you need to do this. Prepare and do all these things. And you know what, Pharaoh? You might want to find somebody who's wise and capable who could oversee all of these things. I wonder where he, I wonder where he learned to be that savvy and drop one of those sly lines like that, you know? Um, I, I wonder sometimes, maybe he picked that up while he was in jail, and Pharaoh's like, there's nobody out there like you. Who can, who can do what you do? You're, you're the guy. And then one day, Joseph is put in authority over everything. Pharaoh said, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. You run it all. You make all the decisions. Through all that process, all that junk, all those trials, all the lies, all the manipulation, all the, the his brothers trying, all that, all, all the people trying to kill him, all of that stuff. God was able to work out a perfect ending that Joseph couldn't see in any of those situations. But God was at work through all of it. I think sometimes when we go through situations, we tend to ask the right question with the wrong attitude. And we ask, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? When it ought to be, huh, I wonder why this is happening to me. I wonder what God's working in the background that I can't see right now. Because I know he's a God that only gives things that are good. I know that he doesn't change. And I know that he's a God that's always working things out so that there's a perfect ending or a perfect result. I wonder what he's doing in the background that I can't see. Right, I might have just lost my job and it doesn't make sense. But if I keep my head and I'm not deceived by what's going on around me, maybe I'm able to stick with this and push through the trial and persevere, and I'll be able to get on the other side and look back and see what God may have been doing all along. Maybe I lost the job because the boss didn't like me and he wanted to do me in, but I didn't know that I would never have the job over here making $30,000 a year more that God wanted me to have if I hadn't been cut loose from that. So God was able to use what was a bad situation that he didn't create, but he was able to work through it to get me to a place that was a perfect result. And a perfect, does that make sense? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, in the, the English Standard Version, says this. I love the way this is worded. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison preparing us preparing us preparing us so maybe instead of freaking out and getting mad at people the better response is to say eh, yeah I see what's happening here 
but I can't get distracted by this. I got to keep my eye on the big picture and know that God is working in the background through this to get me where he wants me to be because he loves me like I'm his prized possession. He only gives things that are good. And I know that he's always working out the perfect ending or result of his will for my life. And all I have to do is just stick with the process. All I have to do is just stay in step with what I know God wants me to do today and not get distracted and not get deceived and not get caught up. And not How many people do you know that are, are nowhere near where God wants them to be because of something that happened to them? Either because somebody did something to them or something tragic happened in their life that they didn't understand and it completely derailed their faith and just took them a million miles away from God. How many of you know somebody like that? Somebody in the church did something to them. Something at work happened to them. An accident, you know, a, a death in the family that they just couldn't wrap their, 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 their mind around and they get confused and they wonder why God would, would do something like to, this to them or, or allow something like that. And they, they don't understand that God really had nothing at all to do with that. Because we live in a fallen world full of sinful people that make their own decisions and things just happen. People get confused when they go through stuff like that. People get confused when, when the pressure's on. Did you ever notice that the enemy doesn't attack you when everything's perfect in your life? Like, you don't think about that stuff while everything's perfect in your life. It's only in those vulnerable times when you're walking through that trial that the thoughts come. And that's why James says, guys, I don't want you to be deceived in this. I want you to understand how this really works. So when we go through those times of trials, when we go through those times of, tra- of testing, we've got to keep our head about us, guys, and know that God is using that situation to prepare us Not that God caused it, but God is able to use it to produce the end result that's perfect in his will. Amen? Make sense? All right.